0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. There's always a measure of excitement and uh, also trepidation when we start a new teaching series. And uh, perhaps today more trepidation than usual because the series is based on uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, which is uh, challenging in many respects. Uh, The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.16 of Paul, he says his letters contain some things which are hard to understand. Do I hear an amen on that one? Uh, which ignorant and un- people, uh, unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures, for their own, to their own destruction. Three things about that verse. Firstly, um, it's possible I believe that Peter might have been referring, amongst other things, to to Corinthians when he spoke about Paul's writings being able uh, being hard to understand. Secondly. My hope and my prayer is that Dan and I will not be classed with those that Peter refers to as ignorant and unstable people who distort Paul's teaching. And thirdly, I feel strangely reassured that if Peter, the apostle to the Jews, the leader of the early church, thought that Paul was hard to understand, then I don't feel too much of a failure. But before we commence this morning into uh, our studies in 2 Corinthians, we're going to watch a video from the Bible Project, which will provide us with a wonderful overview of Paul's letter. And uh, if you're listening to this talk on podcasts, stop the podcast, click the hyperlink on our life group notes, and then come back to the talk. I hope you enjoy this. hope it means something to you. <laughs> so I hope you all know now. <laughs> Maybe Dan and I don't need to... Uh, uh, speak on this for the next four months <laughs> That was very good, wasn't it? I hope you found that uh, great What we've done this morning as well for you um, That map that was put up uh, We've got a number of these uh, run off Please pick one up, they're in the foyer Stick it in your Bible And when you're reading through 2 Corinthians Over the next uh, few months you know, Hopefully that will help you It will be a, some kind of prod This morning, this uh, message is in two sections. The first section is, uh, I'm going to give you a background, I'm going to be talking about the context of 2 Corinthians because again, if we just jump into the text, we might miss what the message is all about. So I'm going to do that, I'm just going to spend maybe quarter of an hour doing that and then we're going to come to the text and we're going to be looking this morning at the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And I do encourage you, please bring your Bibles. Uh, The Bible that we are using through this particular series is the NIV, although we'll be referring to other texts as well, other versions. Okay, where do we start? Firstly, let's start with the people of Corinth. The people of Corinth had uh, a reputation in the ancient world. They had a reputation for being a disorderly, hard-drinking, sexually promiscuous uh, bunch of people. The city of Corinth boasted the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. And the worshippers of Aphrodite practiced uh, ritual prostitution. The temple of Aphrodite in Corinth had a thousand priestesses. Uh, who were essentially sacred prostitutes, and each evening they would walk into the town or the city of Corinth to ply their trade. Corinth, if you like, was a kind of Soho on amphetamines, if you get that, all right? That's the kind of place that we are talking about. In fact, in the um, ancient world, whenever a Corinthian or someone who was portraying a Corinthian came on stage in a Greek play, that person was nearly always drunk, and someone with loose morals. And to call someone a Corinthian was perhaps one of the greatest insults that you could ever call a person. And to call a woman a Corinthian girl meant that you were calling her a prostitute. Each year, the, uh, th- there are new words which are added to our dictionaries. Uh, language it continues to change and expand and likewise in the, the Greek world as well and there was a word called uh, a Corinthia zestai it was added to the vocabulary and it meant to live like a Corinthian which meant to live in drunkenness and immorality and it was to this particular city that the Apostle Paul came with the message of Christ it was his second missionary journey and um, We can read about that in Acts chapter 18, we're not going to jump into that this morning, maybe this afternoon when you've got five minutes, it'll only take you five minutes, read through the background of how Paul founded that church in Corinth in Acts 18. Paul stayed in the city, therefore, about 18 months before he then went off to Ephesus and he shared the message of Jesus with whoever would listen to Jews and to Gentiles, to men and women, to free people and also to slaves. Paul visited Corinth three times, and in between each letter, uh, each visit rather, there were two letters. Now, if your maths is any good, that means that he wrote four letters to the Corinthians. But you might say, well, there are only two letters uh, in the New Testament addressed to Corinth. Which is right, of course. Two letters have been lost to us. So, 1 Corinthians that we find in our Bibles is actually the second letter that he wrote. And 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter he wrote. Are you still with me? Okay. And the reason that we know about these other letters is because the letters that we have in our Bibles actually refer to other letters. Now, Dan mentioned that last year uh, we spent about four months teaching on 1 Corinthians, and we entitled that series. Do any of you remember what that that series was entitled? Oh, this is really doing our, our sense of worth wonders here, Dan. Thank you for that, folks. I'm so appreciative of you. And uh, how about the church that had a love affair with problems? Yeah? Oh, it's all coming back now. Wonderful. But I think I'm just going to go into a dark room and cry. And if you want to revisit some of that teaching, or maybe you weren't around in those days, then go onto our website. There's a whole series section there. Um, of sermons and just listen to some of the podcasts. When people become Christians, they don't always become nice. Well, certainly not instantly at least. And that's a bit of a surprise to many people. You see, conversion to Christ doesn't always automatically furnish a person with impeccable manners and flawless morals. And that was certainly true of the people at Corinth, And just to remind ourselves of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, it was to these people who had received Christ, and yet they continued to have some major problems. There was quarreling and divisions going on in their churches. There were problems of marriage and relationships, problems of sexual immorality, with one member of their church congregation sleeping with his stepmother, which some of the people in the church were not only turning a blind eye to, they were actually approving of it. There were other Christians who were taking their fellow Christians to court. And Paul was rather cross about that, that they should air their dirty laundry before others in this matter, in this manner. Begs the question, doesn't it? I wonder what Paul would make today of those who do much the same through social media and Facebook. Whoa, just a thought. Paul was also concerned uh, over the way that people shared the Lord's Supper. Rich people were neglecting poor people. And they also had problems over the things that they believed. Some of them believed that there was no resurrection of the dead. How contemporary is that in the 21st century? Where some people say, once you're dead, you're dead. Well, that was going on 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth. That's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So this was a very charismatic church as well. Gifts of the Spirit were in operation, in abundance. And yet, Paul had some very strong words to say against the Corinthians for the way that they practiced those gifts. So you could say that this church in Corinth was charismatic, but it was also chaotic. And within them, within this church, you had both the sordid and the sublime. Three phrases that would sum up the, the, the Corinthian church. They were intellectually proud, they were materially prosperous, and they were morally corrupt. Now, Paul heard that things were not good in Corinth. And that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians to sort these things out. They'd messed up big time, but... Paul doesn't disown them as brother and sister Christians. He doesn't despise them because of their bad behavior. He doesn't rant at them over their irresponsible ways. He just loves them and offers them spiritual direction and a way forward. But it seems as though some of these Christians rejected Paul's teaching. They rebelled against Paul. And Paul follows up uh, this letter with what he calls the painful visit. And that's in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.1. And Dan is going to speak to us on, on some of this next week. And the painful visit was then followed up with another letter, a letter which has been lost to us. And Paul says that this other letter, this letter that has been lost to us, was written with anguish of heart and with many tears. Now the result of that letter which we don't have was that the majority of these Corinthian Christians apologized to Paul. They wanted to be reconciled to him. Some of them, however, were not repentant. And they just continued to challenge Paul. They continued to challenge his integrity and his authority. And they kept saying that Paul cannot be trusted. Paul wasn't a genuine apostle. They attacked his leadership. They accused Paul of inconsistencies. They impugned his motives and they questioned his credentials. And imagine putting yourself in Paul's shoes. How painful that must have been to him. He was their founding pastor. He poured out his heart and soul in order to serve this church and the purposes of Christ within that area. And now he's only gone away two minutes. And there's all this flack which is coming his way. And they're all challenging his authority. They were also saying that Paul, well, if he was such a great apostle, then he ought to be living a trouble-free, triumphant life in Christ. He certainly wouldn't be suffering in the way that he's suffering now. And again, doesn't that sound very much up to date? certainly does to me, because I've heard of preachers teach that if you are living in God's will, then you will live a triumphant, trouble-free life of health, wealth, and prosperity. But you see, if that was the case then Paul must have been the most terrible sinner in the world. Because things didn't go well for him. It was tough times that he lived through. But he wasn't a terrible sinner at all. He was a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus, as Isaiah prophesied that he would be, was the suffering servant. And Jesus told his followers that it wouldn't just be a, a picnic in the sunshine to follow to follow him. But to anyone who follows Jesus, it would be a matter of taking up their cross daily to follow him. Okay. Some of you are probably asking already and some of you might have switched off already. I hope not. Why is all this background information important for us to know? It's important... Because whenever we read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and there are 13 of them, it's a little bit like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. You know what it's like, and I think I've given this illustration before. If you are in a room, and someone else in the same room is on the telephone to a third party, you are only listening to what they are saying, but you can't hear what the other person is saying, unless, of course, the, the, the phone is on speaker mode. And then you can hear the whole conversation. I'm often on a Sunday evening in the room when Julie is speaking to her parents. And then Julie will mention someone's name. And then there will be a short gap. Obviously her parents are responding in some way which I can't hear. And then she's in fits of laughter. I hate that. (laughs) And not for the reason you think I hate it because I'm infuriated that I... I just want to know what's going on. Because I'm nosy, you see. I want to know what's going on. And I've got to wait another 45 minutes before I can actually... (laughs) 45 minutes if I'm lucky. Okay. Now, similarly in Paul's letters. And whenever you read the New Testament, it's like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. And what we need to do... Because it's just the one side. It's just Paul's side that we are hearing. We need to do as much detective work as we possibly can. We need to find out as much as we can. What was happening then in the city of Corinth for Paul to actually write these things? What was happening in the church for Paul to need to write these things? And when we understand that, we will understand more of what Paul is saying and why he is saying it. There are huge differences. For any of you who have read 1 and 2 Corinthians recently... The first letter deals with practical issues and what Paul thought was wrong with the Corinthians. But the second letter, the one that we're looking at right now, is dealing with personal insults and what they thought was wrong with Paul. And this letter is perhaps one of the most personal of all of Paul's letters in the New Testament. That Paul is forced to defend himself and his ministry. Very much wears his heart in his sleeve. And he provides us also with some of the most wonderful principles and words that we find in the New Testament. So much more I could say, but I'm sure that we'll pick up this as we, we study the scriptural passage together. Please, 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 Sunday mornings, bring your Bibles along. Okay? Do that. So you can check that we are on the straight and narrow and teaching Paul correctly. Okay. We're going to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bibles, reading from the New International Version this morning. So we are, for the next uh, part of our, this morning, just going to have a look at the first 11 verses. I've got to put it on screen for you as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we also, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and will deliver us again. On Him, we have set our hope, that He will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf. For the gracious favour granted us. In answer to the prayers of many. Okay let's just work through some of this for the next uh, short while. First of all Paul starts by saying Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now in Bible times the practice was to put the name of the sender of a communication of a letter at the front end of the letter, not the back end. Um, Which, I think, personally, is is quite good practice. You can then decide whether you want to read the letter or not, can't you? Yeah? (laughs) It's not not unlike what we do with emails. Because you know who an email is for straight away. Uh, I remember (laughs) earlier in my ministry, I received uh, a letter... Still with me very, very vividly, 30 years on. And it was full of vitriol and full of venom. And by the time I got to page 4, I was utterly devastated. Because this other person took great delight in telling me everything that was wrong with me. It was a very long letter, I tell you. And many of those things I was only too painfully aware of, but there were other things that I was yet to become aware of by this letter. But if I'd known up front uh, that it was sent from someone who wished to remain anonymous, I probably would have binned it before reading it. And Paul commences, I suppose it's a little bit of an unusual greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Which perhaps reflects a little bit on the background of what's happening here in this letter. False teachers had come in. Uh, infiltrated the church they were questioning Paul's uh, credentials they were claiming that Paul had no authority so what does Paul do he sets the record straight right from his very first words he says that he is an apostle that is one who is sent an apostle by the will of God in other words what's he saying there this isn't some self appointment I am appointed by God I am God's man I've been sent by Christ to take the good news to the Gentiles. And then he greets the church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's very often the, um, the greeting that Paul uses to in many of his letters in the New Testament. Grace and peace. Uh, and grace and peace are the great cause and effect of the, the spiritual world. Grace is the cause. Peace is the effect. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, conditional love. It is a love we do not deserve. Grace means that there is nothing that we can ever do to cause God to love us more than he does. Grace means that there is nothing that we can do to cause God to love us less than he does. Grace means that we cannot earn His love by our good works. Grace means that it's not a matter of trying our best to live an upright or godly life. Grace means that we simply accept God's love as a free gift. That's grace. And the result or the effect of grace is peace. That's peace with God. Peace within our own hearts. Even peace with other people, with our neighbour. And you see, in our world, many people attempt to gain the effect without the cause. Just think about that one. They try to attain peace without first experiencing God's grace. And it simply doesn't work. And as Paul says, grace and peace come, both of those things come from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, short introduction over. Paul now gets into the nitty-gritty of what he is desiring to tell the Corinthian church. He starts by praising God. That's not a bad place to start, is it? That's what we did this morning. We started in this place by praising our God. And then he writes... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I don't know if any of you were watching the news the other day in this week's Prime Minister's Question Time. If you watch that, it's like a Punch and Judy show sometimes, isn't it? You know, It really is. And it's the last uh, Prime Minister's Question time before the general election on the 8th of uh, June. And in that 10-minute speech that was given by uh, Theresa May, on 12 occasions this week, she mentioned the words, strong and stable. Much to the the bemusement and also the uh, irritation, I think, of the media. Well, I think the Apostle Paul beats that because on 11 or oh, sorry nine occasions in just five verses here he mentions the word comfort and that's where paul starts this letter he commences with a message of suffering and comfort and what he's saying is that you can't have one without the other the two things go hand in hand as someone once said the holy spirit cannot be a comforter to the comfortable And in these opening verses, Paul says that God is not only the source of his authority, but God is also the source of his comfort. Now, Paul, we regard him highly. You know, 13 of his uh, writings are found in our New Testament. He was the founding pastor of the Corinthian church. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was a great man. But he was also a human being. A man of flesh and blood like like us. And he knew what it was to experience trouble. And just look there in this text of a few words that he is using of himself. He speaks in verse 4 there. I'll put it in red. Uh, Of troubles. In verse 5. Of sufferings. In verse 6. Of distress. Then in verse 8. Of great pressure and despair. Verse 9. He felt the sentence of death. And in verse 10, that he faced deadly uh, perils. You see, as well as the physical persecution, he also suffered criticism, ridicule, sickness, depression, bereavement, injustice, disappointments, temptation, uh, and and difficult personal relationships. I don't know about you, but I am always encouraged when those people whom I look up to those men and women of faith, when they have tough times too. I'm encouraged by that. I'm always more encouraged when they talk to me about their trials or their discouragements or their failures or their weaknesses than when they talk about their strengths and their accomplishments and their victories. It's funny that. Always much more encouraged when they own up and I know that they are made of the same frail flesh as I am. So Winston Churchill once said, the pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And by that definition, Paul was definitely an optimist because he sees opportunities and benefits in all of his sufferings. So Paul commences this uh, section with, with praise to God, not for the problems, but for the positive benefits that have resulted from his sufferings. Uh, So what what are these benefits or blessings of suffering? Well firstly he says that you will be comforted. And this not only applies to Paul, this applies to all of us. All of God's people. And I want you to sort of take you know we've been dealing with a lot of head stuff this morning so far. I understand that. But now we're going to deal with some hard stuff, okay? You will be comforted. Verse 3 and 4. The God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. As I said earlier, the Holy Spirit cannot be the comforter to the comfortable. And it's very often in the most difficult situations of our lives that we experience God's grace and comfort and it's in times of anguish and despair that we, perhaps, experience most the, the the presence of God in our lives. And it's during those hard times that God, the God of all comfort, comes alongside us and makes Himself known in a way which we seldom experience in the good times of life. The word comfort is a an interesting word. Um, me, just just hold on to this for 30 seconds. I'm I'm going to go on a slight detour. Please just don't don't worry, it's not going to be more than 30 seconds, okay? But the word comfort is the word in Greek, paraklesis. It might not mean an awful lot to you. The word para, as you can see there, means alongside. Klesis is the word called comfort, therefore, actually means to be called alongside another. And that is the same word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus said, Another comforter is coming. The Father is sending another comforter. That's the word that he used. One who is coming alongside us. So what am I saying by that? I'm saying this. In our troubles, it is God, the Holy Spirit, none other, who comes alongside us in all of our troubles that he is not neglectful of us. He is not ignorant of our suffering. He is not far away. He is not apathetic or indifferent to our pain. But he is the source of all comfort who will come alongside us. Reminds me a little bit of the 23rd Psalm. When King David wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, uh, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Okay. What other blessings do we get? Secondly, you will be able to help others. Look at those verses. The God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now if you this morning are going through a time of suffering, what Paul says next May not at this moment. Bring you an awful lot of help. Okay. But what he is saying here. There will come a time. That it will be hugely helpful to you. And that is. The comfort that you have received from God. Can be used. It's not gone to waste. Nor suffering is wasted in your life, that there will come a time when you yourself can pass that comfort on to others because people always identify with people who have shared the same pain. As a pastor, it's my privilege, and it really is a privilege, to come alongside people who are going through great times of trial and suffering in their lives. And I'm very careful not to say to them, I know what you're going through when perhaps I don't. There are times that I might be able to relate because the suffering that they're experiencing is something that I personally experience. But even then, I'm cautious about saying, I know what you're going through. I might say, I can only imagine the hurt that you're experiencing. But that's quite different from saying, I know what you're experiencing. You see, a Christian, for example, who has gone through a miscarriage We'll be able to speak more powerfully about God's love and comfort during those hard times to someone who hasn't experienced um, more than someone who has not experienced that trauma. Do you remember when Anna and Robin Clayton were with us before they moved to York? You know, they were just so able to do that, bringing words of comfort and hope to other families who were experiencing all the things that they'd experienced. A person who has gone through the anguish of divorce, through the pain and the hurt of betrayal, perhaps, through financial struggles, through the sharing of young children, is in a privileged position to help someone else come through that same trauma. The pain of bereavement of a close family member, a husband, a wife, losing a child, often equips that person to share God's love with others we are experiencing the same agony. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Former Anglican bishop, Bishop of Chester for many years, Michael Bourne, uh, he's a railway enthusiast. And he explains here what Paul is uh, referring to in terms of the difference between a Houston experience and a crew experience. Now you're wondering, what on earth am I talking about? Well, let me put a diagram up on screen which will perhaps help you understand this. And what he is saying here is that Euston is a terminus. All trains stop there. They can't go any further. Euston, it's the end of the line. But crew is a junction. Some trains terminate there. But most of them go on for other, to other destinations. From Crewe, you can go north. They branch off to Liverpool or to Preston, then Scotland, to Manchester, to Chester, then to North Wales. If you're going south, you can go to Shrewsbury or Derby or to London. And what Paul, in effect, is saying here is that the comfort that we have received from God is to be a crew, not a Houston. Have you got that? You see where he's coming from? You see, it's, it's natural to want the comfort in Houston terms. We want all the comfort ourselves. We're going through a rough time and we want all the comfort that God can bring us. And that's understandable. But God's desire, ultimately, is for us to be a crew, not a Houston. This is what he writes. We may be devastated by the death of a husband or wife. The aching void goes on and on. At the same time as we draw on God's comfort, we should take note so that we can help others going through the same valley later. Sometimes God's comfort is very practical, like the cake and water for the spiritually depressed Elijah, rather than a sermon or text. Sometimes it is the quiet presence of a friend in Christ that means more to us than talking. Learn from the way God comforts you directly and through others. And so become a more effective minister of comfort to others in Christ. Well, let me put it another way to you. A way that perhaps you might be able to remember a little better. Our mess of yesterday can become our message today. That's what Paul's saying. And our test can become our testimony. And our misery can become our ministry. Third blessing, you will be changed. Paul tells us in verse 6 that hardship produces uh, in you patient endurance. You see, hardship, the sufferings, the trials of life, whichever way that they come to us, they do something in our hearts, in our lives. They transform us into godly characters. They are God's way of making us more like Jesus. You see, we don't rejoice because of the trials and the problems and the suffering. That would be utterly perverse to say that. But we can rejoice in them. And we know that that God is using life's difficulties to develop our characters, to deepen our trust in Him. And our troubles provide an opportunity for us to grow and to mature. As Christians, there's an old Arab proverb which says, All sunshine makes a desert. Think about that. And maybe we need to think of that proverb in terms of our own spiritual lives. You see, a desert place in our hearts is more likely to be brought about through lack of trials and difficulties than through the presence of them. And finally, you're glad to hear, you will learn to trust God. Verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, we're not given the the, the specifics of those troubles. We're not told that in this letter. Uh, We can only imagine. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, whatever these troubles were that Paul was talking about, we're not talking of dandruff or uh, man flu, okay? This was absolutely serious. But look at his next words there. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, Paul didn't grumble about his troubles because he realized that those troubles had a purpose. They forced him away from self-reliance to rely more heavily more robustly on God himself. And when we become aware that the difficulties of our lives, which we don't like, do we? None of us does. You know, those times of suffering and trial and the problems when they come. Lord, get me out of this quickly. We, we hate those times. But if we know that those ultimately have a problem, even though we have a, a purpose, rather, even though we might not know what that purpose is, even within the span of our lives on planet Earth. At least we can say, Lord, okay, what are you teaching me here? What are you showing me through this? How does this all work? Help me to trust you more, Lord. Those trials can become bearable. Okay, I'm done. Take heart in your struggles. God is with you through them he is the source of your comfort he is your refuge and strength and an ever present help in trouble God will use those trials and will use you if not now maybe sometime in the later and use what you have been through to touch the lives of other people no trial is wasted thirdly God has a purpose and just remember that when you're going through the furnace he is the one with his hand on the thermostat he is using those trials perhaps just to make you a little bit more like Jesus and fourthly God's greatest purpose to you is to bring you closer to him and to cause you and to encourage you to trust in him and to lean upon him even in those places you're not permitted to see